Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi, this is Daniel Koba, the Editor-in-Chief of AJHP and the Vice President of Publishing at ASHP. I'll be your host today for the ASHP Practice Journeys podcast. Again this year, as a celebration of pride, ASHP will host four podcasts with LGBTQ leaders in pharmacy this month. With me today are Rebecca Bartholomew, a current PGY2 Ambulatory Care and Academia Pharmacy resident at Oregon Health Sciences University, and Aaron Hutchins, who is the current PGY2 Solid Organ Transplant Pharmacy resident at Nebraska Medicine. Rebecca and Aaron, welcome. How are you today? Thank you for that introduction. I'm doing well today. Great. Good to see you, Aaron. Rebecca, how about you? Doing great today, Daniel. Thank you for having us both. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. I think that listeners will be really interested in the perspectives of two new practitioners and both of you wrapping up a PGY2 residency year. And before we get into some of the questions that might relate to LGBTQ issues, first, I just wanted to spend some time getting to know the two of you a little bit better. So, Rebecca, let's start with you. Tell us about where you grew up. And, you know, I'm going to ask you that classic question at some point of when did you know? So we'll start with you. Of course, Daniel. So my story is a little bit different as I grew up as a military brat. So people always ask me, where are you from? And I always have to answer, I'm not sure everywhere. So I was born in Missouri, spent a lot of time in California and Texas and Nebraska, actually, before moving out to Portland, Oregon to pursue residency training. So of all those places where you traveled with, was it your your mother or father who was in the military? My father gave 20 years of service to the Air Force. At all the places that you traveled, did you have one or two favorites? Well, Nebraska exposed me to my first ever experience of snow, which was magical. And then when I moved to Portland, I miss all of the snow. So Aaron, not going to lie, a little jealous of you. (laughs) That's great. Aaron, what about you? Tell us about where you're from. Yeah, so I'm originally from Wheeling, West Virginia, which is a city of about 30,000 people, about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. So I did grow up there my first 18 years of my life before going to college in California. So I did grow up with snow always. So going to California, I did miss it. Always happy to come back for Christmas and get that two weeks of snow and then go back. Um, I think that was enough for me. Nothing like Christmas in the Pittsburgh area, Aaron. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, I told you I was going to ask you that magical question. When did you know? And Aaron, you have the mic, so I'll, I'll start with you, but I want to jump back to Rebecca. When when did you realize that? And, and, you know, actually, I'm going to jump ahead with a different question for you, and then I want to get back to this because I think it really frames everything we talk about today. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that both of you identify as queer. Is that correct? That's Correct. Correct. So let's talk about that a bit because I want to, and the reason I actually think it might make sense to talk about that first is because it really affects just sort of even my choice of words as we talk today and as I aim to be respectful. So let's talk about that because it's really interesting from my perspective perspective because as a young gay man who was coming out in the early 1980s, it was in many ways a a derogatory term, but it's advanced a lot. I know that it was used a lot as part of the, the protest movement during the AIDS epidemic, especially, and even organizations like the Human Rights Campaign come along and really embraced it. So tell me about your use of it and, and your understanding of it. Rebecca, let's start with you. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that is a great question, Daniel. And so I think my use of the term queer to describe my sexuality and my identity as a person really boils down to that. I think as the LGBTQ community has discovered more terminology and discovered more quote unquote boxes or labels to apply to people that it can get quite cumbersome to explain my experience to new people as I interact with them. So if I was going to describe my full sexuality to someone, I would explain that I am a bisexual, homoromantic, cisgender female, and that would be my full title or labels, which is a lot of words and doesn't <laughs> flow very nicely into a conversation. And so around the time I started my college journey with undergraduate teaching and training was when I started to be more comfortable with the term queer, as that is just easier to use in everyday language and everyday speech. And then as I learned more about LGBTQ history and how queer was a derogatory term, it almost felt like a reclaiming of this identity from people that want to use it against me and to hurt me. And it was like, you can't insult me. That is a term of pride for myself. And so that's why even nowadays I say I'm a queer woman in the 21st century. It's fantastic. It's so it's so strong. It's just so clear. So that's fantastic. Erin, what about you? Similar, different, somewhere in between? Somewhat similar. I think for me, it does really coincide with kind of my figuring out what my sexuality and what my identity was. And so kind of going along that path for me, it wasn't like a, I always knew it was more of a, huh, this is a little bit different. And I wasn't exactly sure like what exactly that was. So I would probably throughout my middle school years was when things started kind of being aware of myself that I was a little bit different from some of the other people that were my classmates at the time. And that I didn't necessarily have a word for it. And I would always identify as straight all throughout middle school and high school. And I think it was really in my college years when I was in California, really determining and understanding who I was better. And it wasn't necessarily that I originally understood that I was gay, but I think it was more so that I was like not straight. So there was somewhere in the middle that that queer terminology just really encompassed that entire spectrum of, you know, how I felt from day to day. Um, and I felt like it really connected with me as a term that was more broad and wasn't necessarily like a narrow definition of who I was, but it could apply to anything that I wanted to be at any point kind of along that journey. So that's something that I've continued to kind of claim if I were to ask, if someone were to ask me just to make it simple for them, I think I would say, yes, I'm gay. And then that would be like an easy box that they could put me in. Um, but for the people that I really get to know and get to explain kind of all the complexities of my identity, I think that queer terminology allows me to kind of be a little bit more fluid. And that's why I really, really like to claim that queer identity. It's really interesting because it was one of the questions I actually wanted to follow up with both of you on is, so what do you do when somebody does try to box you in inadvertently, not with any malice by any sense, but just, you know, they use the term gay. And so Aaron, it sounds to me like you are, are comfortable with that. Yeah, I am definitely comfortable with that. I think that it's something that is just, I guess, easiest to really get to that point across. But I don't necessarily think that it's something that I feel limited by in my own confidence at this point. But for me, it's not something that I'd be offended by. I would call myself gay. I would call myself queer. To me, it's kind of one and the same of my complex identity. 
Got it. Rebecca, what if somebody boxes you in and how do you respond in a social situation? I think as long as the terminology they're using is accurate to describe my experience, then I'm comfortable with that terminology as well. So like, for example, if someone wanted to say, oh, you're a lesbian, right? That's not entirely inaccurate as I am homoromantic and so would only involve myself in a romantic relationship with women. And so that's a somewhat accurate term. The only time I think I would correct them would be if they're coming at it from a place of, I want to learn more, please teach me. I always like to joke that I'm a pharmacist by training and a teacher at heart. And so if I ever find teachable moments to explain the queer experience more thoroughly to someone, I take the opportunity to do so because I 100% agree with you, Daniel, that I think the boxing in of people never comes from a place of malice per se. It's more so from uninformed perspective. And so how can I inform them better? That makes so much sense. Now, Aaron answered my question where I was going when we started to dive into this about, you know, he said as a middle schooler, he started to realize that, that he was queer. And, and what about you, Rebecca? What At what point in your life did you come to that realization or start to realize maybe? It's always really funny because not going to lie, as a person who grew up in a military family, was very sheltered and did most of my middle school timing in Nebraska in a very conservative area, I honestly didn't know that being gay was even a thing, that it even existed until I heard Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl song. And then I had this like <laughs> aha moment of, oh my gosh, that's an option. Uh, <laughs> And then that led to a lot of exploration and thoughts and fantasies. But then it also led to some realizations in hindsight of, oh, that thing I did as a kindergartner makes more sense now. Because I literally had a moment in kindergarten where I was interacting with other kids, some of whom were in their teenage years and some of whom were in middle school age. And we were all just like playing together. And I asked the two high school boys to kiss each other. And when I realized in middle school, oh, I'm queer, that activity as a kindergartner just put it all in perspective. So I feel like I truly knew in middle school, but the warning signs, so to speak, were there from even earlier. How did they react when you asked them that? They just kind of stared blankly at me. And then we <laughs> changed the subject. <laughs> So what made you choose pharmacy as a profession? How did you end up on this path, on this career path? Rebecca, you have the mic. We'll, we'll start with you and then we'll go to, back to Aaron. So I decided I wanted to pursue pharmacy with very little understanding of what pharmacists actually do, which unfortunately I feel like is not a unique experience as pharmacists are generally misunderstood in our culture and our society. So, but in high school, I knew I liked chemistry. I knew I wanted to do something in the medical profession. And I knew I really liked organizing stuff. I found a lot of pleasure of reorganizing my bookshelf at least three times a year. <laughs> and so I was like, how can I combine chemistry, medical profession, and organizing to a career path? And I was like, oh, of course, the pharmacist does that. And so I went on this journey, had never shadowed a pharmacist, entered pharmacy school, and then realized this whole new avenue and world of clinical pharmacy. And so that's when I decided to pursue residency training and then found my love of ambulatory care and teaching. And then that's how I ended up where I am now. Got it. Now, where did you go to, where'd you go to pharmacy school? Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. And then your PGY1 was? With Providence Portland Medical Center. Okay. And then your PGY2, you're at OHSU, right? Correct. And what, what comes next year? 
I thankfully got gainful employment post PGY2, even amongst the COVID financial crisis. And so I will be continuing my ambulatory care journey at Neighborhood Health Center here in Portland. Congratulations. Tell us a minute about Neighborhood Health Center. It sounds like a very interesting environment of care. I would love to. So Neighborhood Health Center is a series of family practice sites that aren't affiliated with a larger health system. So they don't have like a hospital like OHSU does, but it's just a bunch of family practice clinics. And so the clinic I will be working at next year will allow me to engage in collaborative practice agreements for diabetes, hypertension, smoking cessation, asthma. And then they're also working on getting obesity and depression CDTMs off the ground, which I hope to be involved in. Fantastic. Congratulations again. Aaron, what about you, your career path? How did you end up in pharmacy school? Um, Yeah, so I had a pretty similar path as Rebecca, where I didn't originally know exactly what it was I wanted to do. I'm going through my undergrad. I knew that it was something within the sciences. I want to do something within the health fields. But what that exact career was going to be, I wasn't necessarily sure of. So I went through my entire undergrad and then I spent a year abroad. And that's really kind of where I really figured out a lot of things about myself. But then coming back, where, I where were you abroad? Where did you? So I spent a semester in Chile in South America. And then I spent a semester in Australia as well. Fantastic. So after you came back from Chile and Australia at that point, and you were at Stanford at the time, correct? Yeah. Okay. And you came back and you decided on pharmacy school. So I finished my four years at Stanford and then my tuition money ran out. My parents weren't going to pay for any more of that. So I went back to West Virginia University to finish up my prerequisite. So I was in between medical school and pharmacy school at the time. Then it was actually through a conversation with my middle school girlfriend who was in pharmacy school at the time, kind of learning more about what the professional pharmacy was like that I ended up actually taking a job as a pharmacy technician at a Rite Aid and saying, I guess I could do this for my career path. And then and started pharmacy school after that. And then within pharmacy school is when I found clinical pharmacy and really developed that passion for being a clinical pharmacist and found really what I feel like my calling is. So kind of from this roundabout path, I've kind of found where I needed to be in my career. Pharmacy school was at WVU as well? Mm-hmm, yep. So I did my four years of pharmacy school at West Virginia University and then ended up matching for my PGY one year at UPMT Presbyterian in Pittsburgh, which was, again, about an hour from my hometown. And my um, alma mater? <laughs> yeah, so I spent a lot of hours in those halls, and then I ended up matching for PGY2 here at Nebraska Medicine for solid organ transplant. That's fantastic. Both of you, just amazing, amazing paths. Aaron, any news on what comes next? Yeah, I signed a contract last week, so I'm going to be starting as an abdominal transplant pharmacist at Houston Methodist. So I'll be working there starting in August. So we'll be working primarily on the inpatient side and then kind of venturing out into the ambulatory world and then kind of cross-covering for the cardiothoracic transplant as well services there. So I'm really excited to get started there. It was really a, a dream job, so couldn't be happier. Congratulations. Again, congratulations to both of you. You know, it's interesting. As I listen to you talk about your career journeys so far, I mean, first of all, they're just, just amazing steps that you've taken and have really positioned yourselves so well to have incredibly successful careers. But we haven't talked yet about Did it mean anything to be a queer pharmacy student or a queer pharmacy student applying for a residency? What was that experience like? 
Yeah, so I started my coming out experience. So the first people I ever came out to were my sisters. Um, My family has been very supportive of me, and that was kind of never a question for me, whether or not I'd have my family support. And I know that I'm really, I guess, blessed in that sense. But really, the majority of my coming out journey was happening in the Bay Area, which is one of the most liberal places in the entire world. So there is definitely some anxiety coming back to West Virginia, which again is not known to be that progressive of a place. And so I'm coming back, coming out to my friends that I had from high school. Um, I really had positive experiences for the most part, but definitely that coming out journey is something that has never ended. And I think there's always just some anxiety um, that goes along with that. So coming into pharmacy school, actually, on the first week that we were there, we all stood up in front of each other and said three things about ourselves. So I was like, I like Game of Thrones. I grew up playing soccer and tennis. You know, I enjoy all these things. And then so I had sat down. And then the woman who was our student liaison at that point had called me up to her and goes, are you family? And I like look at her at first and I'm like, "Mm," I like didn't quite understand what she was asking. And then she said it again. She goes, are you family? I'm like, oh, yes, 100% I am family. Like, And then she kind of introduced me to a couple other people within the School of Pharmacy at West Virginia University who were already out, had kind of been living out as a pharmacy student. Um, And so kind of making those connections there. And then kind of throughout the years of my pharmacy school, they had also several classmates that had come out. So that family had continually grown um, and really building that LGBTQ community within the pharmacy school at West Virginia. And so um, it was really a positive experience. I can't say that there weren't instances where there were things that were said potentially about my sexuality and that were not always positive. Um, but I think for the most part, I always felt supported. I always had a core group of both queer people and allies with me that had my back. And I felt like it was a really um, amazing place to develop as a pharmacist from a pharmacy student and prepared me to kind of step out into the world to be a pharmacy resident. Rebecca, similar experience? Similar and different. So one of the key differences I keyed in with Aaron's story was he said he never feared about his family accepting him. And I'm not going to lie, that wasn't the case for me. So as a military kid, especially with my parents being on the more conservative end of the spectrum, and especially right around the time that I was figuring out my sexuality in middle school, we were in Southern Illinois and Nebraska around that timing, which are more conservative states in terms of progressive attitudes towards queer individuals. And so the first people I ever came out to was my core friend group in middle school in Southern Illinois, and they were very accepting and it wasn't an issue. But then when I started to contemplate coming out to my parents, it induced a lot of anxiety. And when I did finally come out to them, they didn't take it very well. In fact, it wasn't until one day I came home from school, two years after coming out to my dad, that I finally came up to him and said, dad, at least you never have to worry about me coming home pregnant. And he said, sold. (laughs) And from that moment forward, he's been very accepting. I've been with my current partner for five years and he more so loves her and calls her his own daughter. And so now it's very good and very comfortable. And ever since that experience of starting to come out to people in middle school, I've never been afraid of being who I am. And it wasn't until I started to actually search for residency that it occurred to me that this might potentially be a problem. You know, all through high school, all through middle school, and all through college, I was actively involved with the Gay Straight Alliance at the various locations, was never afraid of being who I was. But as I started to look for residencies, 
I did worry a little bit about how will this impact my chances of matching. And especially on the on-site interviews, it was an interesting experience of trying to gauge the acceptance at that site and at that culture of how much can I be myself at this location as a queer individual? Because if I'm going to be here for a year working 60 to 80 hours a week, I want to make sure that I can be myself in a professional and a personal sense. And so that was interesting to navigate, even in Portland, which much like Southern California for Aaron is one of the very accepting, very progressive liberal places to be a queer individual, it still induced a little bit of anxiety as pharmacy as a profession is still somewhat more conservative. So when you did that assessment, when you went for an interview, did you open up more or did you still keep your cards pretty close? How did you handle it? I did my best to assess first the like accepting mission vision statements of the various sites to make sure that their non-discrimination statement said something about sexual orientation and gender identity. And that was always a good marker to me. Honestly, I didn't apply to anywhere that didn't have that included in their non-discrimination statements. And so I did my best to gauge that through non-formal interactions with current residents and with some of the preceptors. And then if I felt comfortable enough to usually one of the current residents, I would somehow slip in as naturally as possible. Oh, my partner, blah, 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 or something to that effect so that it would be a subtle clue of I'm a queer individual. Am I going to be safe here? And usually that was very well received. And the current residents at the sites I was interviewing for would say something back of like, you'll be very accepted here. I've never had issues, even had some very positive interactions with one of the RPDs who was transgender herself and said, I don't think that'll be a problem here. (laughs) (laughs) It's really heartening to be able to go in and have that experience. Erin, what about you? You know, it's interesting to hear Rebecca talk about looking at mission and vision statements for the organizations because we're going to interview later this month, our last podcast for this year's series, the group of individuals who wrote the HHP article, the authors of that article on navigating the residency match process as an LGBTQ person. And they talked to that issue of looking at mission and vision statements. But Erin, for you, similar, similar experience again or different? Um, yeah, so it was definitely something that I considered when looking for PGY1 programs and PGY2 programs. So I was fortunate in the sense that I wasn't necessarily geographically limited. So kind of knowing the lay of the land and the map of the United States, um, I naturally gravitated towards areas that were considered to be more progressive when kind of looking for residency programs. So again, with that, understanding that a lot of times those are cities and a lot of times those programs and cities are more competitive. So I think there was some anxiety with me being able to really build my match list in all the programs that I was going to apply to and really being able to stratify those being like, all right, these are my reach programs. These are the programs that may not be kind of more aligned with what my CV looks like. And these are the safety programs and being able to build a list that would still allow me to end up in a place that I felt that I would be comfortable in. And so when going on on site to those interviews, definitely something that I wasn't necessarily saying, hey, I'm Aaron, blah, blah, blah queer, that's who I am. It was more getting a feel of the land, getting a feel of what the really personality of the program is and what the feel of the program is and being able to make those connections. I think it was able to, for the most part, read whether or not those programs would be friendly to me or not. Um, And so I think that did play a factor in how my actual rank list did end up after my PGY1 and my PGY2 year. So I think that was really one of the big anxieties I had coming to Nebraska, a place that I had never been 
before, but I had had a really amazing experience actually as a P4 student with one of the transplant preceptors here. And so that's kind of why I wanted to come back and really get a better understanding of what this program was here. And then actually when I was on my interview here, our lung transplant pharmacist was wearing an Apple watch with a rainbow band. And I feel like I don't even know if that was something that she did intentionally or just something that this is the one I'm going to wear today. But that was a signal to me that there would be people here at the program that would be my ally that would have my back and that this would be a place that I would be able to really thrive as both an individual and as a gay person and as a pharmacist. So I think that definitely did impact, again, both PGY1 and PGY2, the selection of the program and ultimately kind of how my career played out is whether or not um, the programs were vocal or had displayed that they would be friendly to individuals like us. And I assume that that's been your lived experience. Yep, absolutely. I have been supported 100% both by my co-residents and by my preceptors. And even as a PGY1, going into the PGY1 year, again, I matched with three of my best friends from pharmacy school, which is another unique experience that I supported by my co-residents there. But going in, one of the PGY2s within the first week came up to me and showed me a picture of her beautiful partner and then asked me if I was gay. And I was like, oh yes, 100%. You know, <laughs> being able to really share that early on and then getting to meet more of the preceptors and some of the most respected pharmacists within that department. One of them was gay. And so I feel like having those mentors as well makes you feel a little bit more comfortable with that this is something that, you know, you never know if that's something that will be a barrier for you to get over or not. And I think that's something that's always a little bit of anxiety. Is this something that may potentially harm me? But in my experience from my first two years as a practitioner, that hasn't been the case. Fantastic. It's just the advances that we've made societally are just incredible. And this is a month of celebration and to hear your stories and hear that and the advances that we've seen over time, it, it is reason to celebrate and to be proud. So I want to talk about the concept of intersectionality. And Rebecca, Aaron as well, but I'm thinking back to Rebecca as you talked about the decision to identify as queer and sort of provided a very concise description of your identity. Within there, it sounds like there's a lot of intersectionality. But, you know, back in, I guess, about 1989, Crenshaw originally coined intersectionality to describe how race, gender, and other individual characteristics intersect with one another and overlap. And it's certainly an important construct in society today. And Rebecca, do you look at your life through an intersectional lens? A hundred percent. So I a hundred percent think that throughout my entire life so far and likely through the rest of my days, I will continue to view the world through an intersectional crossroads of being a queer person, but also being a woman to marginalized groups in the United States, which is a little different in pharmacy as a female-dominated career path. Sorry, Aaron and Daniel. <laughs> but I will say that in my day-to-day -day experiences in my personal life, unrelated to the pharmacy profession, I definitely have had some instances where I did not feel comfortable coming out to particular individuals, specifically as a queer woman, due to fear, to be quite blunt, that I might be accosted or attacked or attempted to be turned straight by this individual. And so I definitely think that that early on experience in high school informed my worldview to be somewhat fearful of the world I live in. Fortunately, that hasn't been the case in my professional life as a pharmacist, but that definitely colors the world that I look at. 
You know, it's so interesting to hear you say that because in the, the time that I've had the opportunity to talk with you, you seem like such an open, warm, vibrant individual. I would have never guessed or never have used the word fearful to describe you. I will take that as the highest compliment. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. Aaron, what about you? Intersectionality come into play? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of circling back to my coming out experience. So something that has really colored my entire life is the fact that I'm biracial. So my mother is white. My father is black. They got together in the 1960s and got married in the early 70s when that was really not something that, especially in Eastern Ohio at the time, that there was nobody else kind of going through the experience that they had gone through. So that was something that I knew that my parents had gone through. This is actually a conversation that I recently had with my parents is that my mom was and my dad were very truthful when they decided to get married they didn't know if their family would continue to accept them if they would continue to be a part of their family by choosing to be together and so kind of going through that and seeing my parents go through that and having some of my older siblings having friends who were queer and had some maybe not as positive experiences and having my parents support them that was kind of why I knew that I was comfortable within my family but being being someone who is biracial, kind of towing both lines of growing up in a white community, but being the token Black person, and then coming into a career where oftentimes I am the one Black person or person of color that is a pharmacist. Um, and, you know, we tote diversity, but there's not a whole lot of diversity within the pharmacy profession at the, I guess, level of the educational status that I have achieved at this point. So it's always one of those things where I always have to feel the need to kind of prove myself both as a gay man and as a person of color that I've earned my way here. This wasn't something that was given to me. It's not that we needed to fulfill a quota and I applied and so it was given to me. It's always something that I think there's this intrinsic vulnerability that somebody can always turn that around on you and say you didn't deserve this or you didn't earn this. So for me, I think that's when one of my really big driving factors and being a perfectionist and putting a lot of pressure on myself to say, hey, I'm here. I am good at my job. I am someone who is contributing to this team and not being able to allow those people to try to take away the things that I have achieved due to saying that, you know, you've gotten this from being a affirmative action case or saying that as a gay man, you're not capable of achieving or, you know, being the leader in the field that you want to be. So I think that intersectionality has played a really big way in the sense that I view the world and a really big way in the sense that like I approach the world often. And so I think having that vulnerability where, you know, I always kind of portray the strong way. And I think my personality has always been kind of killing with kindness, really just sticking to my guns and being the person, the pharmacist that I need to be, the advocate that I need to be for my patients and just really putting a lot of pressure on myself to remove all doubt from other people, even if, you know, may have been imagined on my sense that I needed to prove myself. But I think that's something that has always pressured my professional career. So your parents, given their experience, did that temper the discussion when you came out to them as queer? Did they look at it through a different lens themselves? 
I think that they were able to relate in a way that people whose parents had not gone through a similar experience would not have been able to relate. And so, like I said, I came out to my sisters and I was looking for good excuse or good reason to come out to my parents and just something it had never really come up. And so eventually I was just like having a conversation with my mother and it kind of just took a turn where she said something that I thought was just more just careless on her part. I'm not necessarily a reflection of how she feels. And then it kind of came out in that sense. I was like, well, mom, I'm gay. And then she was really accepting, always taking it the way that I expected her to. And then my dad was already asleep at the time. And so my mom went to bed. And then my dad actually, um, when he woke up the next morning, he like woke me up at 6 a.m. to tell me that he loved me and that he was proud of me. <laughs> and so it was, again, couldn't ask for a better coming out experience from my parents. But I definitely think that not having that pressure allowed me to really develop up in a way that I like 100% really appreciate that it's not a typical experience for many people in our situation. Yeah, it's, it's a magnificent experience. And it's something, you know, it's a, a memory that you should treasure and keep close to your heart at all times. As we talk about your coming out experiences, your life experiences, the concept of being queer, the concept or the construct of intersectionality, I'm wondering as we sort of wrap up our conversation today, how all of this comes together in a big mix and affects the way you interact with your patients. Do you think that it's had a difference for you, Rebecca? Is there, does it? I would say absolutely. So one of the things I really strive to do as a queer individual in a pharmacy career, in a pharmacy space, is to educate my fellow pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and providers, nurse practitioners, just about the queer experience. This year, I've spent a lot of time talking about transgender and gender-affirming hormone therapy and pharmacotherapy to other providers. And one thing that I've been doing my best to advise other providers to do, because there's always this question of, well, how do I introduce myself and my pronouns to my patients so that my patients feel comfortable using their pronouns with me? And I always preach, introduce yourself with your own pronouns. For example, my name is Rebecca. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a clinical pharmacist. How can I help you today? And then that opens up the door. And I always feel a little bit like a hypocrite when I give people this advice because I don't do it myself every single time. I'm not going to lie. It depends on the patient I'm seeing. And my own bias is that my elderly patients and my older patients might not understand what I'm trying to communicate, even in Portland. And so if I'm seeing an older patient, I a lot of the times don't introduce myself with my pronouns, even though I preach to do that. But if I have a younger patient or someone that I already know is queer or in the transgender umbrella community based on their chart information, I will introduce myself with my pronouns to help communicate that I'm a safe space for them. And so that's something I advocate for, but still struggle to implement myself. Got it. Aaron, what about you? How's your whole identity, your whole person affected the way you approach your patients? Yeah, I think it's really hard. You know, what's the appropriate way to blur personal and professional in a way that you are doing what's in the best interest of the patient and, you know, really being able to really, I guess, make those connections as a transplant pharmacist, that relationship with a patient is so important. It's really important that they trust you 100%. And so I 
use my sexuality really as a tool. Um, I definitely have patients who I know either have queer family members or queer themselves. And so being able to relate to them and share kind of my experience and my identity with them as a way to make those connections. And I definitely use that in a way as a tool. But there are a lot of situations where if I don't think it would be something that would improve the patient pharmacist relationship, that I don't always use that. And to Rebecca's point, I do think trying to make it so that it's not just queer providers that are able to build those relationships that showing that non-queer providers can be allies as well and building those relationships with our particularly vulnerable patient populations. It's really hard to both be that example and really stick to your guns and consistently be a guide for other people who may not have been thinking about it the same way that I think about it or just haven't had the experiences that I've had to be effective in making those relationships. So I think for me, it's something that I, again, pick and choose in which situations that I share this part of myself with my patients. But it's something that I have definitely thought about in my professional career is what, I guess, with my sexuality can I used to improve the outcomes and improve the quality of care that I'm providing for my patients. So Aaron, young people coming into the profession, that 18-year-old who's queer and Black and coming into the profession, what advice do you have for that person? Just pharmacy in general, I think making that transition into the professional realm, especially being a pharmacist, wanting to go through residency and really wanting to be the best pharmacist you can be is tough. Adding on all these additional factors, adding on your race, your sexuality, all these additional stressors makes it harder too. But at the end of the day, you have a wealth of support. Um, There are people already in the profession that would love to be your mentor, that would love to support you through this and would love to be someone that you could go to, to have those conversations conversations when, you know, you may have that self-doubt, but at the end of the day, you know, your worth is not really tied to your job. Your worth is not tied to your sexuality. You are a valuable person regardless. So, you know, you'll have those tough times. You will face adversity no matter kind of what path you choose to go. But at the end of the day, you are worthy and you are loved. What a great message. Rebecca? I would honestly echo everything Aaron just said and would add on my own two cents that I think to be successful as a queer person in the pharmacy realm is to just accept yourself completely and wholeheartedly first. The very first person you ever come out to is yourself. And so if you don't love yourself and want to be your own person, then it's very difficult for others to connect to you because you're always wearing a mask and always having to hide. And it's a career that you're going to do for 40, 50, 60 hopefully 70 years. And if you're constantly wearing a mask, you're not going to be happy. And so everything Aaron said, and then also additionally, love yourself and don't be afraid to be yourself around others because those that accept you or is the place you want to be anyway. Yeah, Rebecca, I can't agree with you more. I had the opportunity several years ago to write a letter for ASHP's Letters to a Young Pharmacist. And that very much was the theme of my letter. And so I, I can't agree with you more. Now, one last question we have to get into before we wrap up. I don't know about you, but after a year of COVID-19, I'm really excited to celebrate Pride this week. I've already, or this month, I've already made dinner reservations both next Friday and Saturday night on 17th Street in, in Washington. So I'm, I'm wondering about you. I was excited to put my bracelet on. How are you celebrating Pride? What's going what's gonna to be happening in Portland, Rebecca? So Portland's Pride event is always really, really big. Unfortunately, it didn't happen last year due to COVID, but thankfully Portland is 
mostly accepting of the COVID-19 vaccination efforts. And so a lot of people are fully vaccinated. My partner and I are fully vaccinated. And so we plan to fully partake in the Pride event at the end of the month. I myself am honestly just looking forward to a month off between residency <laughs> and my new job. I'm going to spend a lot of time paddleboarding. Oregon is known for lots of outdoor activities. And so I'm going to get myself a paddleboard to celebrate residency graduation and also to celebrate Pride. Got it. Aaron, you're going to be getting ready to move, but how about you? What's Pride celebration look like for you this year? Yeah, so unfortunately, um, the Omaha Pride is not until July, so I'll be missing that this year. But I do also have on my bands today <laughs> and I actually have a date tonight. Um, so that's how I'll be celebrating tonight. And then my best friends from high school are coming in in two weeks. So also vaccinated. And so we haven't seen each other since September when I went back for his wedding. So it'll be good to reconnect with old friends. This has been a great, just an amazing conversation. I am so happy that I was able to get both of you to join me today to just talk about your experiences. It's just been so incredible. But unfortunately, our time's up. And I want to thank Rebecca Bartholomew and Aaron Hutchins for joining us today to discuss their journeys. Join us here at ASHP Official and the Practice Journey podcast as we learn about how LGBTQ pharmacy leaders seek out, grow, and evolve during their careers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues, family, friends, and via your social media of choice. And enjoy Pride 2021. Rebecca, Aaron, thank you so much. It's been great to talk with you today. Yep, thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Aaron. Happy Pride. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.